Hello and welcome to another episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. We Ain't Got No History's officially Chelsea, official Chelsea podcast, sorry. Uh, I'm your host, Jimmy Funnel, and as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Ram. That was a bit difficult to do that intro. It's been so long. <laughs> yeah, got to shake the rust off now. Yeah, um, but it's great to be hosting the podcast again. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's uh, it's been a while, and it's nice to have our two guests with us again after like after seven months, I think. Uh, Mr. Andre Floyd Carlisle and Ryan Yatko, also known as uh, Yatley, also known as Yat Climate for various reasons. <laughs> <laughs> hi, hi guys. Hi, hi Andre. How how are you doing? Hey, I'm I'm doing uh, about as about as good as I can I can be, I guess, uh, in these times. So that, yeah, that was, yeah it's right. a tricky question to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> and how about you, Brian? Uh, doing well. I just finished Tiger King uh, a few days ago. So uh-huh. I don't know if you guys watched that Netflix show, I just want to say I have heard everyone to- talk about it. <laughs> it is great. So for everyone listening, hello, all you cool cats and kittens out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, that's a great, great recommendation because I think we're all looking for things to do right now. Um, there's nowhere in the world. Well, maybe there are some places, but generally, um, most of the world at the moment is in isolation. So, uh, Netflix recommendations always welcome on my side. But we're going to come to the actual uh, podcast show today. We've got a few things planned. Yes, football has been off for over. Well, actually, it's a month now, if I'm not mistaken, a bit more. Um, but there's enough to to talk about. We will be looking at how everyone's been doing how's it been not to watch football i think that's a question where people on twitter have been going mad the last few weeks it's been a meltdown in that regard um but we'll also be talking about how this whole corona crisis is affecting the premier league how should things end what's the future holding for us as a as a club how will it pan out We'll also be talking about the transfer market, of course. Uh, I mean, how will that be treated? Who has been rumoured to come in despite all this this chaos that's been wrecked by the corona crisis for not only Chelsea, but everyone, every football club in Europe at the moment? There's also been some developments on the Chelsea Stadium. And yeah, we will, of course, as we have Andre here, who is the expert on we ain't going to history for Chelsea's women's team, who are also in a really good spot, provided that everything continues at some point. We will be talking about Chelsea women, Chelsea's women's team for the first time on the podcast, and it should have been much earlier, but better late than never. So yeah, got a lot of things to talk about, and I think we'll just get straight into this. I'll pose the question to all of you. How has everyone been? How's the crisis affected your daily lives? And most importantly, how are you holding up without football? Are you alive? Because <laughs> that's been something that every other Saturday, I can't look forward to the most important highlight of my week, as sad as it sounds. How's it been for all you guys? Um, if we're going to start alphabetically, Andre, I know you're a, you watch a lot of football. 
I do. And um, it's it's been difficult. I mean, it's, as far as the way my daily life changed, I, I, I was for, I'm fortunate enough to be able to work from home uh, most days. I usually, uh, before all this, I chose to do so on Mondays. So really, it's just been a long week of Mondays uh, for me, <laughs> which probably sounds horrible to most people. But yeah, I've, I haven't been in the office in over a month and it'll probably be uh, a little longer um, or a lot longer. Um, without football, it's been actually kind of kind of interesting for me because a lot of the teams I follow, especially domestically, our U.S. women's team um, and and the NWSL, the National Women's League, uh, here they've been doing a lot of match replays, um, replaying old matches, old historical matches, uh, just really good games, and so. I've been watching that, so <laughs> I'm still watching football. Uh, yeah. I'm just not watching live football, so it's fine. <laughs> well, I mean, better better than nothing. I, I absolutely agree with you there. Maybe I should get into that as well. Um, Brian, how have you been? How is life without football? Uh, you know, life without football, it's, it's a little weird at first, but since I don't really know what day it is anymore, <laughs> Because the weekdays turn into weekends, like I've just gotten used to just not being around sports, and it's kind of weird because you know I growing up like I've always loved sports, either playing or watching, especially, and not having anything on the TV to watch, whether it's Premier League or any other football league or NBA, you know, Major League Baseball is supposed to be on. Um, there's absolutely there's nothing, so I'm kind of starving for content. And we were talking about Netflix shows earlier before we started recording. And that's basically all we've been doing, just burning through, you know, shows left and right. And I'm starting to wonder if I'm going to get to the point where, like, there's nothing left to watch. <laughs> um, but in terms of me personally, uh, you know, as you guys know, I have a daughter. Um, now that I'm working from home, I'm pretty much like a stay-at-home dad in a way where I'm kind okay. of doing double duty between work and also keeping her enriched. And it's it's been stressful. But at the same time, it's also been lovely at the same time. But it's, it is a weird time that we're in, you know. Yeah, and a time of uncertainty. I think that's one of the things where people have been struggling most with that. But kids, of course, uh, that is quite the challenge. Um, and, well, I mean, it might sound a bit weird, but football is what I've heard. A good method of cooling down you know, to escape the, well, the normal week that we have in our lives, work, family, whatever. Um, we don't have that. And of course, it's quite the challenge being altogether isolated for a long time. And yeah, I, but I think we're growing as people maybe in that. But maybe that's too philosophical. But Ram, how have you been doing? <laughs> uh, yeah, nice, nice note to switch direction on that. Yeah, uh, I was... I, I I miss I do miss the regular Saturday three I mean eight thirty p.m. here, the regular Saturday run of fixtures and you know um, refreshing uh, various clubs Twitter accounts to check lineups at that time that may or may not be in the Premier League but yeah and obviously I, I miss watching fresh Chelsea games a lot of course but that's that's not to say I haven't been watching football I have been watching a bunch of other games from other leagues that I hadn't, that I that I felt that I should be catching up on in this time, or because of interest and also because of work, which has to go on. But yeah, so I mean, I, I have been watching a lot of football, including today actually. And but yeah, apart from that, 
work, um, my, my, my day job has actually gotten a lot busier since this whole lockdown started. So now, now that everyone's working from home, um, suddenly the workload has gone up. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying anything, but yeah, it's th things haven't, uh, I mean, um, time, time, time has actually been passing without all that much difficulty, I guess. So yeah, no, not, not, not doing too badly, but you know, there are other things to worry about, I guess. So puts stuff into perspective, but yeah, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, I mean, uh, how about you, Jimmy? I, I realize that you can't ask yourself this question, so I'm going to do that. <laughs> I would have been cheek and just answered it for myself. But yeah, I mean, generally also, I think it's just quite the challenge to just sit at home and do nothing with one's time. Uh, I would have actually graduated. So I would have done my master's end of March. Well, that didn't really pan out the way I thought it would. But, you know, in in the context of what's actually going on, all the the lives that are being destroyed by this epidemic, well, pandemic nowadays, <sighs> not really that important. And I think we just have to all learn to live with this situation because as scary as it is, we might be getting these kind of situations more often than we'd like to in the near future. So we'll just have to wait and see. Um, but personally, I, I actually uh, have been trying to stay productive with uh, i play warhammer it's a tabletop game uh, probably a lot of people won't know it but for those that do i've just been painting the models the whole time that i wouldn't normally do because i've got so many other things to do like football but yeah i think those are the kind of little positives that one has to take uh from this kind of situation but yeah so much nice. for the personal uh perspective um let's get straight into the biggest topic that has been discussed oh I, I can't tell you how often i read this over the past four weeks um on twitter especially how should the premier league end i mean liverpool is at the apex of the premier league they have more or less got it done dusted Let, let's be completely honest here but yeah. it's not completely over they need like i think one or two games more for it to be uh, legitimate or something like yeah. that. Yep. Um, sounds like Liverpool's usual luck, which is fantastic from a Chelsea perspective. But objectively speaking, how how should this season end? What happens with the Champions League spots? That's of course more important for Chelsea now. Andre, what what what's your take on the Premier League at this moment? Because there are tons of takes out there. Yeah, um, I don't. It's difficult. I mean, there's the 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 only thing we know that's right is that they shouldn't be playing right now, and we don't really know when it would be right to play again. So the main thing that we're doing is, is that most people are doing is trying to look at when it might be safe enough, when they might be able to put in enough measures and restrictions and limitations and all of that on restarting the league and seeing what happens. Uh, I know the, the World Cup style uh, finish is something that was floated uh, recent, recently. And honestly, I think that's probably the best scenario um, for doing it because you really can't, um, at least as things stand right now, not in, unless something changes, which I think at this point, we're kind of looking at things, you know, worsening, not necessarily getting better in most places. Um, Sadly, um, I, I don't, I don't, 
I don't know if you can do anything, uh, if you can even do that. Uh, but that seems to be the best option on the table right now. Personally, I kind of would just to better assume that they, you know, if you have to push this thing back into July, you might as well just call it and freeze the table as it is. Um, I really don't know what that does to the, I, I suppose you clown, you crown Liverpool champions because unless they go on a massive losing streak, which would be hilarious to witness, um, it was pretty unlikely. So I, I, I really don't know. There are really no good options. Um, I know they want to have games so they can return to normal and also start making money to fulfill TV contracts more than finishing the season. I think that's what most people are worried about, um, at least internally. So, um, but it's difficult because, you know, the, the moment you do something like, like the World Cup style and uh, somehow the virus is introduced and you have to shut everything down again, you're going to get second guess and you're going to look awful for trying to do it in the first place. So it's tough. Yeah, I think the ethical question here is uh, the main concern. Uh, well, for us, for the Premier League, as you said, I think financially, Something has to give. Uh, as Ram mentioned pre-recording, Premier League will probably be doing quite a bit better financially speaking than, for example, the Austrian or any of the smaller leagues in Europe, which might actually have to be dependent on state financing or, you know, this kind of rescue packages that they have for all the other areas uh, they plan to do and we'll just have to wait and see how that actually develops we will be talking about the transfer market still but brian would you agree with what andre said do you have a different uh, approach that could be favored uh i echo a lot of what andre kind of spoke about you know we previously we had gone back and forth i think in the slack channel about you know this topic and for me, I think just because there's just so much uncertainty with the pandemic, you know, it, it's good that they're planning. They absolutely should be planning and they should be betting on every single possibility. But there's just so much unknown about what this pandemic is going to do and when things are going to be safe. You know, we talk about any, using this World Cup scenario sometime in the summer, but we don't really know if that's going to be a viable option, you know. Yeah. come summer if people are even allowed to be outside still in groups and let alone playing indoors you're still not really solving the you know the suggested guideline of keeping six feet apart from one another and hoping to you know minimize exposure risk uh i'm not entirely sure if the premier league has even mentioned how they would kind of ensure safety of the players of the staff of the people involved for this world cup scenario uh, there is a, a tweet I saw that kind of talked about how the World Cup, you know, the logistics of getting teams set up in, t in terms of hotels and keeping them within a set distance between practice fields and stadiums. And depending where they hold this, I think they were talking about the Midlands in England. Um, can they ensure that all of this is kind of good in terms of logistics setup for all the teams? And also, how do you draft, per se, like this? logistical setup between the teams themselves to pick I want this hotel just for my team versus you know mixing teams within each given hotel like there's a lot of stuff going on here a lot of variables and that's just logistics of just getting the World Cup set up right mm -hmm. um, we don't even know again if you can even have players 
in that time frame because contracts are ending. So now we're going down a whole different, you know, round of of questions where you know contractually and you know, sports lawyers can probably give their uh, take on this, but can we allow players with expiring contracts to play these games? And if not, that's going to drastically affect a lot of the first teams for many teams. Maybe not so much Chelsea. You know, I know of what William Pedro are the only ones with expiring contracts, but there has to be other teams that have critical players who uh, are seeing their contracts wind down. I think Watford, if I read correctly, their two goalkeepers are on expiring deals. So if this stretches out into July, what happens to that team? You know, are they going to have to play a reserve goalkeeper from the youth setup? So well, weren't they talking about weekly contracts there, something like that? I heard I about that, that, but how do you ensure, I guess from an insurance standpoint, that if a player were to get injured, you're, you know, what's going to happen to their viability in terms of a future contract? You know, who's on the hook for that? So... Ooh, difficult question. Yeah. There's yeah. so much uncertainty. So going back to what Andre said in terms of we get to that point where there's they plan, they plan, they plan, but there's so much uncertainty still what happens. I feel like at that point, like we just got to effectively just stop. Season's over. We just can't continue the season until things are pretty much good in the world, but we don't know when that's going to be. But effectively, you have to stop the season because there's no point dragging it on and like Andre said, if, if one team gets sick with the virus, you effectively ruin the whole scenario to begin with. So, I don't know. It, it's not an enviable situation for the Premier League, for the FA, for you know, the players themselves, and everyone involved in football. Like, this is such a weird time that we're in where, you know, I think we are all kind of situation where we are still kind of working our day jobs, but there's plenty of people in the world who are definitely affected by this pandemic and they might not even have jobs right now you know um like think of the pubs that are around stanford bridge you know they're probably waiting you know for games to come back just so they can get some money in but it's very likely these businesses may not be around you know by the time the football actually does come back for real so so i, I rambled a bit but no no you're right you're right there's so many questions i don't know there's no really no, no right answer yet either because no one knows. And that's uh, and piggybacking on that real quick, I, I think it's also quite difficult because of the number of games that are left. I think it, it, everybody has at least nine games to play. If it was like three or four, I think they can maybe go for it and just do it, round robin it real quick, you know, have two games a week and be done with it in a couple of weeks and hope that that's enough. But with nine games, you're going to have to at least give folks probably close to a month, um, if not more to get through all the games and that's just asking so much of so many people. Yeah. And to that point, one thing I also kind of point out is if we're doing that where it's kind of game after game after game, but let's say in this world cup scenario, it's still behind closed doors. It kind of ruins the sporting aspect of traditionally what we've known for football games, where things were kind of allowed with a home and away with a home support and fans. So you're kind of taking the, essence of the game of what we know and giving a very stripped down version of it just to complete a season but is that really what's best for everyone i know we're all striving for football believe me like i just i need something to watch you know where i don't know what's going to happen but on the flip side is it really the best thing for the premier league to go down this route and call it a, a true season because it really isn't we're living in a world right now where 
things are so different. And basically what we knew prior to the coronavirus was like an older world. Now basically we're moving into this new world where we just don't know what's going to happen, you know? I mean, the way you just formulated this, especially at the end, it's kind of scary. <laughs> I'm not just talking about a footballing perspective. Because this, while we're asking these questions for the footballing side of everything, um, going to be the same for every other area in our lives. And I think that's the main problem at the moment, that no one really has that many answers to so many questions that are scary. You know, I, I think from a moral perspective, they would have to say, yeah, no, we'll, we'll just avoid it. And I would understand why Liverpool fans would be feel aggrieved because as much as we'd all laugh at them because, you know, nobody really likes Liverpool. <laughs> if that would happen to Chelsea after, what is it, 30 years having no, no title? <sighs> I think I'd cry myself to sleep. <laughs> for a long time it, it might sound melodramatic but you know that this league is such a big big trophy and that would be sad but then again from a safety perspective you can't you just july even if things improve in until june the sooner we say oh yeah great things have relaxed a bit we can get back to our normal lives and I understand it from for the economy. You know, a lot of people are going bust because of this situation. Who says that the whole situation won't just spread out like a wildfire again immediately? Because this virus might not have the highest mortality rate, but it is highly contagious. And the minute you fill those stadiums again, I mean, it would be behind closed doors anyway, but still, the moment you relax these uh, these restrictions you don't know what's going to happen and then we might end up after let's say one month of football having to say okay well we just saw this was the wrong decision it's gotten worse again we'll have to cut it for a whole year so even if we have to maybe wait a bit longer for the premier league to return in the long term it might be the only right decision. Ram, what, what you haven't said anything to the, on this topic yet. What, what do you think? I mean, that there's not much more to add. Is there? There are so many different variables that factor in when you're deciding on how to end the season. Because, as both Brian and Andre said, if I mean, if you're going to plan a World Cup style thing. It is going to take so much to sort the mere logistics of it, and then it could all be wrecked if even one player involved or one member of staff or anyone involved in the whole thing really tests positive because you, you don't know how many people that they've come into contact with. And that it, it could all go haywire very quickly, very soon. And I'm, 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 not, I'm not a big fan of voiding the season and... If, if you gave me a choice between voiding the season and just finishing it now as things are, then I would probably prefer finishing things as they are now. Obviously, um, perspectives will change as and when you go lower down the table to those teams getting relegated or 
teams that are fighting for places in the Champions League. But if you look at the... Did, did you read the report where the Belgian first division actually ended their season as it was? Yeah. So Club Rouge are going to be crowned champions. And this was this was before... I think they haven't even completed 30 games for every every team yet. So every team plays 30 games and then they split into those uh, into their groups, right? For which ultimately decides uh, who wins the title and who qualifies to Europe and everything. So before this has happened, they have finished their season. They have decided that Club Rouge are going to be champions, but they they yet to decide how they're going to sort out relegation and European qualification. If I'm not wrong, so if I mean obviously. This is going to take a while to reach any sort of conclusion, as the PFA said in a statement that they released like a couple of minutes ago, I think. But if the situation doesn't seem to improve um, in due course, then I, I, w- I would probably prefer if it were ended right now and there was no attempt to be made for a World Cup-style thing because... As as Andre already said, it's it's nine games. It's not three or four. You're definitely going to need a month, and there's there's literally so much that could go wrong in the space of a whole month. When when you're also going to be thinking about how you're managing the situation nationally, is the entire nation going to be on lockdown for another one and a half months yet? It's a difficult question to be to be honest. So yeah, yeah, it's obviously um, none of us were ever going to provide a conclusive answer on this but then yeah it's basically we can we can all agree that we we might we might find it um well the fact that we're finding it so difficult to talk about it at the moment is probably i mean I, i'm not envious of the people sitting on the chair of the premier league and stuff who have to actually figure this out because i can only imagine that it's an absolute nightmare or i mean for them or literally anyone who's handling a sporting event that hasn't been completed at the moment. So, yeah, there's, there's not, not, nothing more to be said, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think we've rounded the, the thoughts that have been swirling around social media uh, up, summed them up quite well. So, I think one question that one could still pose is, about the rest of the players. I'm not quite sure if we went into detail on this because if, let's say, we uh, have the situation that this World Cup-style tournament will be played out, um, it isn't cancelled because of any coronavirus uh, positive test, um, what happens with the the players that are fatigued? They'd basically... Good getting point. straight into the, the other season. But before we address this, uh, we're just going to take a short break. Okay, and welcome back to We Ain't Got No Podcast. Uh, this is the second part of this episode. We will now be just briefly addressing fatigue problems, which might come with this World Cup-style scenario that might play out um, in the Premier League. Now... <sighs> When you play for a club like Chelsea, you're in four competitions at the start of the season. It's been a long season. We've had one of the worst seasons that I can remember in our recent history, injury-wise. We've always had a bit of luck. One could even say we had a great medical staff. Not that we don't have it now anymore. But 
we've been very unlucky with injuries this season and um whether they be due to injuries or just bad luck uh injuries uh fatigue or bad luck um I can debate about that and we'll probably never say for, be able to say for sure anyway but what one can say for sure is if this whole tournament would go into july and the premier league which i read in an article would still want to start in august maybe a bit later not start of august but like mid or late august well huh, that's not a lot of time to first of all get back to the you know load, load up your uh recharge your battery sorry bit bit rusty here um to recharge your batteries and of course Preseason. What? What about preseason? Uh, someone like Hakim Zicek or anyone else that would still be coming in before the end of this season, they wouldn't have basically no time whatsoever to get to know Frank Lampard, the team, um, just generally Chelsea and Gel. Uh, of course, that would be the same for everyone else. But how could this whole scenario affect the players individually? Um, as I've come to use this uh, throughout the podcast, we'll just go alphabetically again. Uh, Andre, um, yeah, I, I, you know, one of the one of the things about answering a lot of the a lot of questions about how this impacts things, at least for me, is that we just have to admit that there are no good answers, and that we're kind of in yeah. this in this space where just about everything we say or just about everything we consider is 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 bad. And yeah. um, that's one of the reasons why I really don't like that. Actually, that's probably the main reason why I'm not a big fan of the World Cup format, simply because there are too many games to play. Even if you can start doing this in June or even July, you're going to run well into the start of next season. Players are going to have no time off, no time to rest. I mean, and, and we know even honestly just being transfer banned. And us having so many matches, I mean, we wore down so many players. I mean, so uh, we've been unlucky, yes, but so many other players just picked up all these injuries that have lasted for months and months. And every time they come back, they're injured again. Um, and, you know, it's just, I would feel like from a from personal Chelsea perspective, it would be really tough and really annoying to ask them to turn right around after doing this whirlwind round robin thing to finish a season that was halted by a pandemic <laughs> in advance of another season that's probably going to have some issues because the pandemic isn't going to be over anyway so uh, do they do they stick with the same type of schedule like there are just so many unknown like so many questions and no good answers that's why i'm like just for me I just I want the players to be healthy again. I like watching the players that we have. <laughs> it's annoying when we can't. We say, well, you know, we we have the best midfielder in the world. It's just that unfortunately he doesn't play very much because he's been yeah. injured and we've used him too much. So you know, there's just all of this stuff that really bothers me uh, that have that has been annoying throughout the season. Even though I think Lampard's done a great job throughout the season, we're just in a situation where nothing is is. There, there aren't good answers, and we just got to take care of people. And the way to take care of people is to not throw the players out there with limited rest um, and make them basically make them entertain us <laughs> while we're sitting at home. <laughs> um, that actually, I'll, I'll just add a question to that because I think that's an interesting point. Not let them entertain us. 
that's a good point because health is more important. However, they're being paid to entertain us. That doesn't mean that they should go back to work. I'm not saying that. But there has been, in the past few days, a pretty huge debate about whether or not players should be taking wage cuts. Tottenham Hotspurs, for example, instead of saying, okay, players have to, uh, I don't know, get 20% less of their their wages, they've been uh, doing that for the employees that are keeping the club running, basically, because a player can come in and go out again. But, you know, the staff that is keeping a, a, a club intact are the ones that are suffering as all the others, like, you know, uh, all the other sectors, but the prominent footballers, they're still getting their wages. Is that fair? Because, I mean, I know it's difficult to answer this kind of, these kind of questions, but you'd expect some kind of compassion here or empathy that the players would also say, yeah, we'll take a pay cut. There have been a few like Eddie Howe, and uh, I think there was someone else, uh, another coach in the Premier League that have already said we'll basically um, not get paid or mostly not get paid um, for the period of this pandemic. But what 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 do you think, Brian? Is, should Premier League players, because they are not doing their job, as you know, a lot of other people can't do their job, they are being laid off work. Should the Premier League players also not receive uh, their wages then, or a large part? So I think this kind of transcends not just football, but a lot of industries and a lot of people around the world where right now we're living in a time where if you haven't been laid off, you might be in a situation where you've been furloughed with no pay, or like what's been proposed with the players right now is a salary reduction. Um, I think from a business standpoint, if I'm thinking like uh, someone who runs a club, you know, cash is tight. I'm pretty sure very few clubs have a lot of cash held in reserve to help pay for payroll. Uh, And I think this is probably a tactic that they're using to help kind of shave down costs so that they have enough cash left, you know, left in the reserve so that whenever football comes back, they can still stay afloat. So from a club perspective, they're trying to do what they can to keep their club alive for the eventual return of football so they can get money and revenue back in you know, into their balance sheet so they can start paying for stuff that like players, like staff, like stadium costs, etc. cetera. Uh, I don't think it's quite unfair. I think given that players are humans like us and around the world, humans like myself have had these types of situations, you know, come to a head because of this pandemic, I don't think they are exempt from that. What I do take issue with, and this is going on a tangent here, sorry, Jimmy, but I, I feel like the owners, you know, the billionaires who own these teams, who run these teams, um, they need to be doing more to help cover the costs for it, not just the players, but for the staff. Um, there's been a lot of people who work for these clubs who, because there's no matches, they're basically let go because there's no need for them because there's no games anymore. And I feel like that's a bit unfair for people who are deemed non-essential to the club operations. Um, And I feel like the businesses should be doing more. The club billionaires who own these clubs should absolutely be doing more to help these people out. 
Yeah, but and I think there's a lot of players who actually are trying to reach out to help out. Mm. Um, I think someone in the channel mentions about Henderson, uh, the Liverpool captain, uh, reaching out to other club captains, doing something similar to kind of pull funds together for, it might have been just for the NHS, but maybe it's for, you know, people in the, around the club as well. But either way, players are probably doing something in some shape or form to help, you know, keep the club alive with salary deductions, whether or not involuntary or involuntary. But my issue is with straight to the top, you know, uh, the leadership within the club should be doing absolutely more, you know, to help give some benefit back to the, to the people who made the club go. I think that's a good point. But one thing that you have to keep in mind, not everyone has someone like Roman Abramovich in charge. And then you have a Newcastle that has Mike Ashley, who's not been handling this situation all too well. Um, what happens then? Well, how, how can one ensure that the owners actually do something? I think that's impossible to do. And uh, someone that already has a bad reputation anyway, like a Mike Ashley, he won't care at all. And that, that's a problem because solidarity is so, so important right now, but uh, hasn't necessarily been the case too much as of yet from the owner side. I completely agree that we would need them to take up a lot of the costs for employees like at Spurs to, in some kind of capacity, still be employed at the club. Um, but yeah, I think that's a difficult, difficult um, topic because when it comes to money, <laughs> the opinions are very much divided. Um, I don't know if anyone still wants to say anything to that. Uh, otherwise, we just continue. Ram, what, what what do you think? Do you want to add something there? I mean, not not particularly. It didn't, you know what. Um... If you're going to keep going alphabetically on things like these, you're probably going to run out of things to say by the time you reach me. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, you're right. Yeah, so <laughs> I, I'm just trying to have a system here because we are four people. Always have to keep nah, it I structured. But, it. but no, thanks for calling genuinely. me out. Yeah, I, I'm a bit oh, rusty no, no, no. here anyway. <laughs> no, no, but genuinely, I, I feel as if um, there's literally nothing new that I can say to that because every stance possible on this or take has probably been covered so probably best you move on to the next thing okay well, if, if i may add one thing oh yeah yeah please see see told you uh, so <laughs> okay. He's, yeah so, okay <laughs> friend of the blog and, and of course the pod jay cohen uh just had a tweet and i'm going through twitter right now and it reads the most any premier premier league club is going to save from furloughing non-playing staff is 1.3 million pounds per month. 1.3 million pounds is the equivalent of 35,000 tickets sold for one match at 40 pounds per match. So just framing that in terms of the cost of a Premier League club, 1.3 million for a club like the top six is not a lot of money. And because of the parachute payments for the TV contracts for other clubs, either in the mid-table or lower table, uh, it's also, it, it's a lot of money, but also in comparison, still relatively, I would think not so much that they couldn't still cover these people who have been deemed non-essential. So, um, that's just my ax to grind in terms of how I'm seeing some of these clubs kind of take issue with 
non-essential staff. That's a good point. Uh, that well, I want to say you may, but of course Jake was the one that read it. But still, to bring it up, that that's a very very good point made, because especially someone in our position that I mean we have the money. Uh, I don't know how Roman Abramovich is doing with this. Um, this crisis, uh, whether he's lost I a lot of money. I think it's clubs lower down that you need to really be, yeah, like immediately worried about because, okay, I mean, pro- pro- probably should have right. mentioned that because, <laughs> <laughs> um, e- even if you look to uh, somewhere like the championship, uh, teams are fairly well off there as compared to they what they are in even you know second tier. European leagues or like um, Austria, Poland, that that sort of region. But then you go even lower down into League One and League Two, and obviously you can you saw that the Van Rama National and everything below that has been cancelled already. But just just think about clubs in League One and League Two who have to rely so much on match day revenue to just to just keep afloat and. Even even without this whole situation, you had clubs. I mean, you obviously had um, Berry who went insolvent, and that that they're not a football club anymore. And you had Bolton who were just about saved, you know, by the scruff of their necks. And then you have Southend who are looking as if our Southend and Macclesfield as well, who look as if they may be follow, uh, going down the same path as um, Berry and Bolton at the start of the season. So. On top of that, you think about this, and maybe some clubs who have um, richer owners down the pyramid might be in a better place. But I, I can't, I can't even start to think about how many of the 70, 72 clubs below the Premier League are going to have to. I mean, I, I know that some have already put um, a lot of their non-playing staff on furlough, or they've had to take quite a significant pay cut. And yeah, I, I think, you know, for what it's worth, the Premier League will mostly get by. And there, there's a lot of talk about how Liverpool probably shouldn't have done what they did today. So for what it's worth, I think, I think at the top level, things won't be affected that much. But then you may just end up with a situation where come maybe two or three months down the line, you're looking at maybe three or four League One clubs in need of like immediate saving or else they're just going to go out of business altogether. So it's probably completely necessary for them to undergo pay cuts at the moment. But yeah, it's it's their their hands are tied. So basically they need they need some higher authority to sort out some sort of compensation package for them or a bailout, as you would put it. So that's it. It's everywhere. The decision, the decision makers, all up until people at the EFL level or the Premier League level, who might be the only. I mean, the Premier League might be the only people who could save the pyramid below themselves. You know. So, yeah, a lot, a lot to think about that. Mm. And a lot to think about for the Premier League, uh, as you've already rightly said. These are decisions that. I really wouldn't want to have to make, and one shouldn't. What should be uh, 
empathetic in that regard because you know they'll be making mis- uh, mistakes. Yeah, they will be making mistakes, and they will be making mis- decisions that not everyone will like. But that's just the way it is. Um, difficult time. We just all have to try and get around it. But you know, we've been talking about a lot of grim things today, and. Uh, uncertainty which is always scary but one thing where we always know oh there's a lot of excitement involved is the transfer market and while things have been on the hold for the last few weeks the rumor mill certainly hasn't um if there's one club in the world that loves getting uh linked with all kinds of players it is chelsea so we have had quite a few links uh, after the Zycheck. Um, purchase one of the most frequent names that we've been linked to is Alex Tellers I personally haven't watched that many games of him to be completely honest and I've heard that he's great in attack Um, I don't know about what he can do defensively are you excited by this name, guys? And I'm not going to say alphabetically. I'm just going to say whoever wants to say something to it, please do. Because I'm not the most well-versed uh, guy to ask about Alex Tellers, to be completely honest. <laughs> Anyone? Ram, go for it. Oh, yeah, there's our scout. Come on. Uh, well, Alex Tellers. Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not entirely sure on just how good he might be in the Premier League as compared to someone like I mean basically the existing options we have already sure will uh yeah oh no I mean at the club so I'm oh, talking wow. about like Emerson right because Alex Tellers has played in Turkey he's played I mean he's obviously playing for Porto at the moment and. He he's not even that young anymore, you know. I mean, he, I I remember when Chelsea were playing him, uh, playing against him when he was at Galatasaray, um, and he's he's what twenty six at the moment. Twenty seven, actually. Twenty seven, yeah. yeah. So that's uh, it. Seems to me as if signing Alex Tellers would probably be more with a short term view, and then I'm 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 just thinking. Is it a possible pre- predecessor kind of move to bringing in someone younger? Because you, I mean, I don't know for how long he's going to be at his peak, considering he's going to turn 28 halfway through next season. And for a left back who has pace, these things matter. So, as as, as far as as far as as his performance in his league goes, obviously he's been. He's been good. I I've, I've I looked at his numbers when we were very interested. Um, I mean, when reports emerged that we were very interested in him, and he's he's been good. His attacking output is obviously very high. He's very very proficient in the final third. Uh, likes likes a dribble. His expected assist output is quite high because he's very good at set pieces. It turns out, so that's good because we. I feel as if we could really be taking our corners better at the moment. No offense to Mason Mount oh, or God, William, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I'm 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 not I'm not against signing, uh, considering that it may it's it's probably only 30 million euros, which is basically uh, chump change for a club like Chelsea at the even even with this current situation. 
So I'm I'm not against it. I mean, if if you if if he's coming in, you would imagine Alonso is probably going out, uh, and or or Emerson's probably going out. And I, I think we've discussed this before that he comes in and he he's he's probably first sort second choice ish left back, but probably playing a lot of games for maybe two two and a half seasons, and then you have. Ian Matson coming through, who hopefully will be the one who's probably going to take the mantle, you know, like like we were grooming Ryan Bertrand to do, finishing, uh, you know, get uh, finishing unfinished business from several years ago. So that's that's kind of how I see it playing out because buying a 27-year-old left back to be our first-choice option is not generally how we do things here, is it? Well, well, not anymore, no. Um... I mean, are there any real other options, though? I mean, there is the Chilwell possibility. Um, I don't that's know what... probably the best long-term option, to be fair. Unless, unless there are like there's a wonder kid you can find who's who's playing in. Uh, I mean, there there are players like that, of course. If Chelsea want to go down that route, that's probably going to be the best option. Um, did you read the rumor that we were interested in Achraf Hakimi? Yeah. Now that's yeah. a signing I could get behind. He he can play both sides, and he is he's really really good. Uh, why Real Madrid would let him go is kind of beyond me. But the Real Madrid they do they do what they like, and well, I I'd, I'd rather sign him than sign Alex Telles to be honest. Um, I, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, guys. Because, I mean, you, you have Chilwell discussed as an option for a long time, and then you have Alex Tellis here. But what what if you could replace them with Ashraf Hakimi instead? Would you do that? Considering we have Reese James, who can also play right back. And Ashraf is naturally right back, but he also plays quite well on the left. It's a lot to think about. So I, I thought that would be an interesting alternative. For me, Take personally, uh, I would prefer Hakimi. Uh, just because he, you know, like you said, the profile, he's, he can play on the right, he can play on the left, he can play more in an attacking role right now. He is suspect defensively, but again, who at Dortmund isn't, right? Um, he's relatively young. Um, why Madrid would let him go, I'm not sure, but let's say that he, he is available. Like right now at Madrid, you have what, Ferland Mendy and Marcelo on the left side, and you have what, uh, Odriozola? Is he still there, or was he loaned out? Whatever. Either way, it's him. Yeah, Odio is at, No, he's at, at Bayern, uh, isn't he? Bayern, yeah. Oh, he yeah, yeah he's out. on loan at Bayern, actually. Yeah. yeah, but they don't want to buy him, apparently, according to the German media. So, it's it's like all these big boys keep loaning players with options to buy, or like no options to buy among themselves. It's it's weird. There's like this little elite league that's been formed where um, James Rodriguez keeps going from one to the other. He. He would have probably completed the Trinity. He's probably going to go to Juventus next, and then he would have played for like all of these teams. No, anyway, I'm, that's on a tangent. Go on, <laughs> sorry. No, I mean, it, if he's available, I think he's definitely someone Chelsea should go for. Hakimi, um, Chilwell, I think you know he's a decent option. He's he's good. He's not great. He's good, but the price tag is really the big negative on him because yeah. of the English it's obscene, tax. Uh, Tellas, I think, is. An average player at the way from the games. Granted, I have not seen that many games, but from the games I've seen from him, he's very good attacking, not very good defensively. He's probably almost just what we have with Emerson, give or take. But we have to actually spend money to bring him in. So if we're gonna, we have to spend money to bring him in. Why don't we just keep Emerson? 
And Emerson is two years younger, which is hilarious. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm, I agree with you, Rom. I mean, I, I think if, if we're going to get rid of Emerson, which it seems like we're going to do, um, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense, I guess, to replace him with Tellez, unless there's a serious, like, unless you think Madsen or somebody is so close that they only need a couple years before they're starting uh, caliber material in the squad. And unless we know for sure that that's like, if that's not the plan, I just don't see how this is really all that exciting. Um, I'm, I'm on board with Akimi as well. I mean, he's, he's played 74 matches as a right back, but 20 as a left back. I mean, he's, he seems to be pretty versatile um, and his stats, at least the, the service level stats between his production on either side seems, seems to be about equal. So um, if, if he's capable as a left and if he's versatile, he really helps out as well. So I think we could be a little bit more imaginative there. It's a tough position, though, because left back is such a specialty uh, position, finding somebody that has a decent left foot. I mean, we've we've basically seen that even though Espilicueta is great, um, there were times when his left foot was really suspect when he had to play over there. Um, yeah. And not, not, you know, really to his fault. He's been right back forever um, by now. But, yeah, some of his passing, uh, some of his control was just off. It's, it's a really difficult position. Uh, to find players at. So, um, yeah, I kind of agree with everybody. Um, Teles just seems to be, even even though the price tag is low, his age doesn't really, I mean, we'd be right back in this position in a couple seasons, I would I would assume. Um, it's weird. It's a weird one. I mean, one thing that one can still keep in mind is what Ram said uh, initially with uh, yeah, Madsen. If Lampard really rates Madsen, we haven't seen anything that would assure us that Lampard really sees Ian Madsen as the heir to our, I don't know, I don't want to say actually call that's too much, but as as someone really to be watched, like, say, uh, Mason Mount or uh, Billy Gilmore, of course, who he has been encouraging in the team, giving minutes to them. We haven't really had that with Ian Madsen, but if he does see him as ultimately taking over that left, that, uh, that left back berth at Chelsea, then... Alex Tellers does seem like a very decent stopgap um, choice. <sighs> really defensively sounds like the most important thing for me personally at the moment because we have had several left-backs that just weren't that recent history. Uh, although, I must say, Emerson was very good at the, the first few months until he got injured of uh, the current season. So, yeah, I mean... If we would get that Emerson back, then we don't need another left back at the moment. But then again, I actually think that Emerson's the one guy who will be going. Um, I don't think that Marcus Alonso will leave. I, I just call it a gut feeling. But the thing is with Emerson, uh, with Alonso, he is so good in the three at the back, and it's, it's staggering how much difference there is in quality if you see Marcus Alonso playing in the four or in the three. And Lampard does like to have that option. I could see him saying, okay, well, then we'll keep Marcus Lonzo because he can play as a fullback. Something we all, well, not all, maybe. I think I know Graham is a very fond supporter of Marcus Lonzo, but I, for one, I'm always worried, very much worried when he plays as a fullback. <laughs> so, yeah, but that might be an option uh, why we're looking at Alex Tellers, especially for that money, because now it was rumored. Might actually cost twenty million or something. Yeah, it's very very cheap. But you know, if anyone can pull it off, it's Miranda Granovskaya. So let's have yeah. 
Um, yeah. Another name Have we had any up. other rumors worth yeah. talking about? Come on. It's got a, it's got a cut. I, I don't like him, and I really don't want to no, say it. No, don't say it. 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 Happened. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Felipe Coutinho. Um, oh, my days. There have been quite a few people on the articles. I know Rohan is, loves to have his transfer article. Um, there's been a lot of news where the sources haven't been very good. So we should take it with a massive pinch of salt. But where there's that much smoke, and there have been quite a few outlets, um, there might be a fire. And Felipe Coutinho, I, I personally think we don't need him. In all honesty, he's really poor on the wing. One of the games that I did see him. And as a playmaker, I don't know, it's just, do we even need him? With Hakim Zizek, and just because this came in, uh, I know it's the Daily Mail, but just about half an hour ago, there was an article published by the Mail. Actually, it's in an hour now, sorry. Williams actually admitted that his Chelsea career is coming to an end. They can't come to a conclusion on the contract situation. Of course, he, as he's already said, he'll stay for maybe even weekly contracts just to end the season, if that is a possibility. But it looks as if he's going. And as Pedro, you'd expect, will be leaving as well, that leaves us with Callum hudson Christian Pulisic, and Hakim Zajac, who we don't really know if he'll be playing in the central role or on the wing. So you'd expect another winger to be coming in. But Philippe Coutinho isn't a winger, so... If Hakim Zajac no is supposed to be on the right wing, then maybe that playmaking position open up, opens up again. What do you think, guys? Because I can't <laughs> emphasize enough how hard of a no it is for me on Felipe Coutinho. And it's weird because a few seasons ago, I would have said, yeah, great. Anyone? For me, it's, uh, it's an easy no. Just full stop, no. <laughs> uh, to give a shorter, longer answer, if Barcelona wants 80 million euros for Coutinho still, then that's also a no. There's no point spending money that should be that could be dedicated to like Jaden Sancho, right? Or a striker. Like we don't need Coutinho. He just, like you said, he doesn't really fit with what Lampard's trying to do. I mean. What one could say is also that the price tag is just ridiculous. You know, he hasn't shown anything what makes him worth that price tag at the moment, 80 million. If it would be half of that, I think, okay, that's actually a what if scenario. What, what do you think if he were available for 50 mil? 50 mil? Takers? Ryan? I'm still no. I'd, I'd rather we just. <laughs> Use that allocation money and actually put it to a position of need that's greater. Striker being one, mm. uh, maybe a top tier center back if we can, or even the left back. I mean, if we're talking about Tellas or Coutinho, and I don't like Tellas, I'd still prefer Tellas over Coutinho. <laughs> you know, because at least it's a filling a position that we need, which is going to be uh, a fullback or wingback, I guess, for Tellas, who could actually be perhaps. Uh, a good option because right now Emerson in and out of the team inconsistent. Uh, Alonso, yeah. like we said, inconsistent. Good on good days, bad on bad days. But Coutinho, like on his good day, he's great. On a bad day, he's you know he's just not there. And I don't really think we should be spending money on reputation. 
that's that's a very good point reputation so that's what it is at the moment essentially isn't it um yeah okay i think it's all been said about Philippe Coutinho there's another name that i really want to put put out there um because a center back is like for me one of the most crucial areas of us being in need if we don't say okay we're going to stay with the center backs that we have at the moment so gabriel and i can't say what his name is otherwise gabriel so um i'd need felipe for that but uh i'm sure ram you've heard of i've heard of him uh one way or another oh yeah 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 so, uh, yeah, I, I can't pronounce the name either. I'd I'd have to I'd have to look it up. But yeah, <laughs> but w- w- could I think it's not really uh, okay. necessary that one talks about you know what's his strengths and because we have a good article on 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 we ain't gonna history that has summarised that. But one thing that is interesting, if we're going to buy a centre back, and it seems as if that is definitely a possibility, should we be getting another? talented well i don't want to say young he's 23 years old but you know not quite there yet not the finished product or should we be aiming for someone like well kulabali for example or someone like that where we know what we're going to get that that for me is a very very big question at the moment and i for one think we should only be getting a center back if this is a proven quality no time about because we've got four center backs which are young okay let's exclude rudiger there but we've got three center backs that are young can still improve we don't need another or does do do you disagree there um andre oh put me on the spot there um (laughs) (laughs) i don't know i mean i i do think that at some point i mean by the time a defender is good enough to be on a cool level he's either going to be impossible to pry away which we have run into with him or the price is going to be extravagant like we've run into with him (laughs) so um it's difficult i almost feel like you know we should be looking if our if our goal is sustainability while maintaining a certain level we should have the scouts to know what to look for should know the qualities to look for uh, we have a coach in Lampard who really knows, he, he really likes to develop young players. He's good at it. Um, I think we've seen that even in limited experience. I mean, you can, Rom can probably speak more to what he did at Derby, but we saw, you know, we saw what he did there um, in certain matches because we were excited for him and the team was exciting. And we've seen what he's done in, I guess, three quarters of a season um, here um, in, in this current season. So I kind of lean more towards trying to find the guys who are going to be the gems. You will strike out. You will find somebody who's not really all that good. And uh, AKA Bakayoko, um, he's not a center back, but we really messed up on that one. I still don't understand yeah. that mm-hmm. signing at all. Like that one yeah. is one of those that just really, con- <laughs> I don't know. I, I can kind of get there on some even of the other weird than, ones. Sorry, even more than drink water. Well, drink water was just, drink water was weird uh, as well. But I mean, uh, I guess we we could look at you know he's he has some sort of veteran mentality some some sort of you know maybe he could have been a good solid backup I don't know I mean his he seems to be a very strange case as well but Bakayoko is just so weird because what he does is stuff we don't need <laughs> like, like we don't he doesn't I don't know he he's 
I wanted to like the dude, and I still I still kind of like him. I, I think he's an interesting player, but even him at his best is not something that we need on that pitch. We just don't, and we did, and we didn't when we got him. I mean, even without Lampard's system being in place, we we don't need what he does, um, even if he does it well, which he wasn't doing it well. So anyway, uh, to get back to it, I I don't I don't know. I, I would need to do a bit more research on Gabriel, see how good he actually is and can be. But I do like that that these are the rumors that are popping up instead of the constant, you know, 100 million euros on Koulibaly that never happens. Uh, you know, on I saw earlier um, Umtiti might be available at, at some ah, sort of yeah. random discount. That could be somewhat interesting to me because I do like him. But I also like that Chelsea is looking a lot younger um, because it really seems like if you're constructing a young team, you're constructing them to be good for a long time, not just a couple seasons. And so I... I appreciate the approach of being linked to players like this versus players like Coutinho. Mm. Although one has to say, uh, Samuel Umtiti isn't that old himself. You know, I think he's only 25 or something like that. So uh, that would also fit into that bracket. But injury, injury prone, definitely injury prone. That's been a problem for him at Barcelona. That is actually, if I'm not mistaken, why they're trying to offload him. Yeah, he's he's 26. He'll be 27 in November. Oh, 26, but really? yeah, oh, okay. yeah, no worries. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, definitely, he he would be an option there. Um, oh yeah, I mean, one position. If anyone still still add something there, please do. But otherwise, I think there's one position that has been also a huge one of debate. Do we really need one? Should we be sticking with Tammy Abraham or not? Uh, do we want someone who's just uh, supposed to bring in some competition or who should actually be replacing him as the number one? That's at centre forward. Um, <sighs> very, very difficult one for me. Uh, so I'm sure that'll be the same for you guys as well because I actually really rate Tammy Abraham. Should we be looking for someone to replace him as the number one? Because that's essentially what he has been this season. Or should we be getting someone in to just compete with him? Hold up the competition, let's say. What do you think, guys? Give me La Toro Martinez. Oh, that's God. what I say. <laughs> I, I like him a lot. Why? I, I don't see the hype with him. I, I understand that he's talented, but mm. he's not the kind of prolific goal scorer that we kind of that we need right now because we haven't had someone who's clinical. And Lotaro Martinez might develop into that kind of a player, but he isn't right now. And he needs a second striker. He needs someone up top. That's where he needs one. That's my thing. Um, I think that the way that Conte has Inter Milan set up is 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 to obviously those two complement each other, and he knows with that with that three five two what those two up top need to do. And he found Lukaku is a perfect player to do the the dirty work, the midfield work, the hold up work that that is required there. What I like about Martinez is that he is a pressing machine. Um, he presses hard. He never stops running. He's tireless. He is a dribbler and his shot output is huge. And I think that as long as you're getting shots on goal, and obviously Ron can tell me, you know, there's a breakdown of how good those shots actually are. But the good news with him is that he's young and I think he's only going to get better. And what he's shown recently is that his, he has a propensity to improve quite quickly. 
And I think in a system that is built on pressing and energy and finding shots and taking shots like Lampard's, it would be great to see him running around up there. And and I don't necessarily think you, you just give him Tammy's job. I think he's somebody who can compete and push Tammy instead of having somebody like Olivier Giroud, who's, who's you know, behind him, uh, or Bashwai, who's never going to really, but neither one of those two are ever going to push him. I think Martinez can, and I actually think Martinez can win that job from him um, simply because of what he does is really good if our if our midfield is solid, like it should be, um, especially at full health uh, and with certain players coming in, the wing should be taken care of as well. We just need that that player who's up top to take shots, press, win the ball, dribble by defenders, and he does all of those things, and he is a pain to defend against. And that's the kind of striker that I actually really, really like. Not pain in the Diego Costa way. <laughs> late, late, late stage Diego Costa, I'll put it that way. But yeah, um, I'm a big fan. I really, 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 in my dream scenario, we would, we would have him next season. That's interesting. That's interesting. Because, if I can pick a tail off yeah, what Andre uh, kind of please talked do. about with Martinez. Uh, imagine a world where we had Martinez in the team and we have Ruben sitting right below him, you know, as, you know, basically our advanced attacking midfielder. That he basically, we've created then basically the setup that Conte has with Lukaku and Martinez. That's a great point. Right? Uh, now, again, I don't know if, if that can coexist with Mount in that same position, but I feel like the talents of Martinez will give Chelsea a different look, if you will. Like, we don't always have to have Tammy as the central striker. Martinez could potentially fulfill that role and the dynamic of the team and how it attacks with its shape and whatnot could be different. I am always a proponent of tactical flexibility and I feel like Martinez, if you have in a team, you just make the team work around him. So uh, we don't always have to go with Tammy as our center striker. We can find someone else to help give us a different look, if you will. Rom, let's hear it. Tell me, tell me where I'm wrong. <laughs> uh, no, you're, you're you're quite spot on. Actually, he 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 is quite active off the ball and pretty much perfect for a team that likes to press. He's actually, uh, according to the stats that I have been looking at, he's one of the leaders for strikers in his league when it comes to working hard off the ball or just being involved and in, uh, trying to win, win back possession and. As far as shots and quality of shots go, he is actually nowhere near Tammy Abraham at the moment. He's, um, well, palpably lower on expect. He, he shoots a lot, okay. Um, he, he takes like 4.1 shots per 90 minutes. So that's, that's actually very high. That's like 85th, 90th percentile stuff in the Serie A and would be in like any league ever, actually. So, Lotaro shoots a lot, and but but the quality of his shot, so you know the expected goal of his an average shot from Lotaro Martinez, is lower than it would be from Tammy Abraham. So, Tammy in comparison, is actually like I mean earlier in the season when I looked him up, he had absolutely elite numbers. I think now he's obviously dropped off a bit, but he's still doing very well. So. Um, for, for comparison's sake, the source that I'm looking at says that Lotaro's expected goal per shot is around 0.13. Okay, so in in most in most leagues that's like kind of above average-ish, but 
Tammy's is 0.21 per shot. So it's it's his expected goal per shot is 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 on absolutely elite levels at the moment. But the fact is he's shooting a lot less than Lotaro. So obviously we know we know what Tammy's like. We know that he's the kind who likes to get into really good positions in order to score. He's the right place, right time kind of striker. Likes to pick his situations. Doesn't doesn't shoot too recklessly. So in terms of in terms of create in terms of style, obviously they're they're different from one another. And uh, you're both right in the sense that Lotaro would add a lot to our team, and he would be a different option that could help us have a different look in certain games. It's just the the only issue really about signing someone like Lotaro Martinez is. How are you going to manage both of these assets on an equal footing? Because they're both they're both the same age. And while Tammy Abraham hasn't cost any money, he's probably uh, he's going to cost a lot of wages. Whenever he whenever he signs a new deal, I have no reason to believe his wages are going to be anything south of like a hundred grand or something. That's um, that's that's the way it is now, I suppose. And Lotaro is probably going to cost. A lot of money, isn't he? I mean, the the kind of figures that were being bandied around in reports were what seventy-ish million, eighty-ish million. Yeah. Uh, correct more, me if I'm wrong, even. but more. Yeah. So that's uh, well, it's 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 a lot of money. So how do you how do you ensure that you play both of these players without well without letting situation go awry with one of them, and just on. On that side of dynamics and man management, that's probably where uh, Frank Lampard is going to earn his buck. So, I mean, as it were. But yeah, just from a from from a purely footballing point of view, that would be it would be a smashing signing. Yeah, actually. So that was that was a very interesting one, very interesting rumor that popped up recently. So I, I was I was quite happy to see us linked to Lotaro Martinez and. Uh, Achraf Hakimi. I thought those were very positive developments, and if if that's the direction we're heading with with transfers, then I don't I don't mind whoever's in charge of things being in charge, or whether it's with additional inputs from Lampard. I mean, Brian, um, did you am I, am I mistaken, or did you write about that piece on the Athletic where they discussed Chelsea's recruitment department? Yeah, yeah, I was the one who uh, put that feature piece sourcing the. That was that, that was. Quite interesting, wasn't it? I mean, what, what did you make of the fact that they operated in almost a clandestine manner, where they, I mean, they, they were uh, using their own like code language or whatever, so, some sort of bespoke terminology, anyway, such that people uh, outside, people from externally couldn't, I mean, they wouldn't be able to figure out what was going on in Chelsea scouting reports, and uh, they were also taking, uh, they they were being very meticulous about. The fact that they they don't want to make the presence of their scouts conspicuous at any game, so obviously, um, yeah. what did you just generally? What did you make of the way all this is being handled at Chelsea? I mean, I, I, it was it was quite eye opening for me because I hadn't imagined anything of the sort whatsoever. But and and we keep we keep slating. I mean, I mean, not not us necessarily, but a lot of people slate our recruitment team. 
and Scott McLachlan because of various transfers that we made over the last few years. But then with it, with the type of names that have been that we've been linked with now, maybe it's Petrček, maybe it's Lampard, but there are there are different there are probably different heads being put together at the moment. But generally, how do you how do you after reading that article and just with everything going on at the moment, how do you feel about the direction we're taking recruitment wise? That athletic piece was very enlightening because, you know, like you mentioned, we never really knew what was going on in the, you know, behind the scenes with recruitment. Um, we all kind of made assumptions that X and Y was happening, or what, you know, McLaughlin's presence in the club actually was. So it was very refreshing to kind of get a glimpse of kind of how they operate. Um, you know, the secrecy, I think, is interesting. Um, and probably that's why no one really knew before that piece came out what was really happening in the public eye because, you know, Chelsea's keeping very, things very close to the chest. Um, they have their own proprietary software and how they handle things. So it, it's pretty clear that the club has invested, you know, in furthering data analytics to help drive decisions. And I think that's, I agree 100% that should be, how the club should be kind of moving forward with analyzing prospective targets. Um, it's refreshing we're actually doing that because you hear all about what Tottenham and Liverpool uh, and City have done in terms of, you know, utilizing advanced metrics to to analyze, you know, recruitment uh, prospects. There was a sense that I got previously before the article came out that Chelsea weren't doing enough. But it's kind of reassuring to know that they are making the strides to being modern with, with the approach of recruiting. So I think they are doing a good job with that aspect. Now, of course, you know, going through the article and kind of what McLaughlin and the team has done, you know, obviously there's a lot of phases, you know, of, of evolution with the club and recruitment. Like we all kind of just sandbagged <laughs> Bakayoko and Drinkwater, but they were a part of that same uh, incoming class of transfers. And we, all, we can all look back, hindsight's 2020 and say, None of them really head out. Murata is gone. Um, both Bakayoko and Drinkwater are alone somewhere and nowhere in the in vision for the future with the club. Uh, the only one left is Rudiger. And Rudiger, while great for us when fit, you know, he's also shown some so-and-so characteristics at the back. So, you know, there's only so much that you can do with data analytics. But I, I, I feel like with the club, you know, focusing and using that to help make decisions uh, I, I think that's it's a good sign that that's the role that we're we're taking with with the club. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where we should be looking towards people who are doing it and have been successful. I mean, obviously Liverpool is the prime example there with Michael Edwards in charge of everything. So if if we're going in that direction, it's obviously very promising, and I'm 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 very happy that they uh, published that article on the Athletic because it was very interesting very eye-opening in a mm -hmm. bunch of ways and one last thing i kind of want to add to this is yeah they yeah. also press the point that uh the groups the you know, recruitment department uh what peter check does in terms of performance technical director analysis whatnot um frank lampard and everyone on the top they're all communicating their targets they're all communicating you know how to proceed with the recruitment process and they're all kind of communicating together with how things are going so i think that alone it's promising because as we've seen in the past with Mourinho, with Conte, and even with Sarri in the past few years, there's been a lot of disconnect. And a lot of that disconnect has kind of harbored a lot of um, bad, you know, juju, if yeah. you will, you know, in the yeah, club. Yeah, so, you're right. 
and um sari and conte i mean it just seemed as if they were uh, perpetually at like loggerheads with the club in in terms of the kind of players that they wanted to bring in <laughs> um especially i mean it got pretty bad with conte but you you get the feeling that they're a lot more aligned now now that lampard is there and yeah that's exactly well the narrative of- yeah, no, it's just been there, nevertheless. You know, <laughs> yeah. now Frank Lampard's unhappy with our well, uh, tactics in 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 January. So it's not it as if all, that's gone. It was that also might be the media. Yeah, but then that that's that opens up a different dimension of that discussion where you talk about what Lampard has to do in order to retain retain his job. So I imagine he's probably telling telling the owners, or I mean, not the owners, the the people who are higher up above him during, I mean, whenever they're discussing the progress of the season or whatever. I mean, he's probably letting them know the exact same thing that he was letting the media know. That, I, don't, I don't think that he was saying anything new or he was going behind the higher-ups back telling, um, I mean, talking about it in his post-match uh, press, press conferences, saying that we haven't uh, signed adequate replacements in January. I mean, I'm sure he's let the board know that as well. So, they're they're definitely on. They should be on the same page in terms of expectations. And if we didn't sign anyone in January, there was there should have been a, an understanding that the club would obviously left in a less than ideal situation. For me, him saying that to the media was basically media management uh, to for for people outside to temper their expectations more so than sending any sort of message to the board. You know, that was that was what I thought of the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. So, I, I think the takeaway I got from the article and kind of looking back at what Lampard did in the press conferences is really him kind of venting out as, as much frustration as he would want publicly, more so at the process. of. So the takeaway I got from the article was that the collective group behind the scenes, they kind of picked their targets for specific roles that they want addressed, and they worked behind the scenes to make those targets uh, work. You know, in terms of coming to Chelsea in the January window, obviously we now know that none of them, you know, came to fruition. And I feel like that's kind of the frustration that Lampard kind of expressed in the press conferences was that, you know, behind the scenes the club is trying to make X and Y player come in the January window, but of course it being January and a lot of uncertainty and, and a lot of inflated price tags made that impossible. So I feel like as far as what Lampard's kind of expressed, he he's He's done a good job, I think, of kind of letting us know, the fans, if you will, about what's happening as much as he should allow us to, you know? Yeah. Mm. Okay. That, that, that's a very rational way of looking at it. I mean, uh, uh, but well, one thing that one still has to, of course, take into consideration is that things can change very quickly at Chelsea, at least they have in the past, so one can never really be 100% sure how that develops, but for the sake of staying positive and I know I'm not always the most positive one, predictions or whatever uh, I hope you're all right and that we are going in that direction, I mean we started with the centre forward discussion that's where this basically all started, if I'm not mistaken Um, we can only Wait and see, really, how that really how that pans out. But let's let's move away from 
the transfers. Uh, we have had quite already long, long discussion today. Of course, as it's our first episode in a month, it is a bit longer today, and I would like to still have the Chelsea women's uh, part that we uh, announced at the start to come into play here, um, Andre. What's the situation with Chelsea's women's team here? Because if I'm not mistaken, they were in quite a good place before this whole coronavirus broke out. And what can we expect from them for the future? And before you answer, we'll just take a quick break. Okay, and welcome back. Uh, As said, we are now going to be talking about the Chelsea women's team. This is the first time on our podcast. It's long overdue. Uh, I know not everyone is maybe the most uh, passionate uh, spectator of women's football. I'd like to be more because Chelsea's Chelsea. That's something that we all have to keep in mind. And this Chelsea team is doing particularly well, I've heard. Andre, take it away. Yeah, so uh, just on the first note, um, the Chelsea is Chelsea note, uh, I think it's really great. Like, like one thing we we do uh, when looking at Chelsea with the youth team, the the academy development, and all of that, and being really excited about it is that Chelsea runs deep. They have extended that to their women's team and have for some time, so they take it very seriously. So I think it's really cool and it's really awesome to see because not a lot of clubs do. In fact, I can call out Manchester United, who didn't have a women's team up until the summer of I believe it's 2018. So it's been it's it, they're very recent and. Um, Team clubs are recently are pretty much getting shamed into doing it, and Chelsea's been um, developing their women's squad way before that. So it's it's been great. The current squad that they have is unbelievable. They are unbeaten in the league. Um, they've beaten Arsenal, who won the title last year, um, three times now. Yeah, they beat them home and away, and then they beat them in a cup final, um, the first cup final, which for the women's um, league is called the uh, Continental Cup. It's the League Cup. Uh, they won that with a stoppage time goal from Bethany England, who, if you've ever seen me write anything or saw me on Twitter, I am the world's foremost Bethany England appreciator. Um, <laughs> yes, be in your Twitter name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is. An, and she's a remarkable player. Um, she's just one of those players who she's 25 um, and she, she kind of had some some loans. Uh, she had some tough times early in her career. And uh, uh, Chelsea's women's team's manager, uh, Emma Hayes, has basically made it very difficult for her saying, you know, what we're what the goals of our team are, which is to win the Champions League um, and the women's side. um, She needs to get a lot better. And she's challenged her a a lot and hard in a lot of ways. And we're starting to now see her break out of that. I know play has been suspended for a little while, um, but. Bethany England, the last time she played in a league game and did not score a goal, it was early November. She is currently on a nine-match league game winning uh, goal-scoring streak. She is absurd. She scores long-range shots with her right or her left foot. She dribbles. Uh, she she runs by. She has pace. She runs. She finds the seams to run by uh, defenders. She scores headers. She scores tap-ins. She she is literally the best striker I think that I've seen in a long time. I'm obviously at a Hegerberg. I don't get to see her much because Leon's team doesn't really get on TV. Uh, it's kind of hard to find their matches. Unfortunately, she tore her ACL recently. Um, and then we picked up Sam Kerr, 
who uh, we, who was assigning the brought in in January, which should let you know that Chelsea seriously takes their women's team quite quite seriously. So she's yeah. she's Sam Kerr is widely she's she's been regarded before she got to Chelsea as the best women's striker, um, arguably. You can throw the arguably in there because Hegerberg is really good, but Sam Kerr just scores goals. She's athletic. You, you used to be a big fan of Sam Kerr even before she came to Chelsea. Is that right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, she played in the NWSL with the Red Stars, and and she so to to put it in perspective, she was the leading goal scorer for the NWSL in the previous three straight seasons before she left. Wow. She okay, is wow. absurd. She scores goals at a ridiculous rate for club and country. Um, I think she's played a few games now to where it's not quite a one to one ratio, but it's not far from there. Her goal her goal output is absurd. Uh, and Bethany England's been so good that Chelsea has made that signing, and they've had to make uh, they basically forced Emma Hayes into doing a two striker setup instead of just saying, "Okay, Emma Hayes, you're better than Bethany England," because you can't really say that right now. Bethany England is in a is in kind of an absurd phase of her career where she's putting all of her skills together, uh, and with her being two footed and fast and everything else, it's just kind of remarkable to watch. So, uh, uh, yeah, I. <laughs> And that's just what we could need in the honestly, men's team, you know. <laughs> yeah, honestly, listen, uh, it's that team is fun to watch. It's not some teams pack it in really defensively, as you probably would do if you had to play this team. They are really, really ridiculous. Um, and and I've just mentioned the strikers. I could go on about the whole team, but um, <laughs> I'll spare you guys for now. Uh, <laughs> maybe do a dedicated pod later. I don't know. We'll talk about it. Um, but yeah, they they so. Most teams pack it in defensively, and you just you, you continue to you have that feeling of waiting for the first goal. I remember watching Chelsea when when they really got going, where it was really fun to watch. You know, when they would drop you know four, five, six, seven, or eight on teams, and you would you know I'm talking about the men's team early on, and you just had this feeling inside of you are you're watching them that you were like buzzing, just waiting for that first goal. You you didn't know how it was going to come, you just knew it was going to come. That's what's happening with the women's team right now. When you're watching them, you know that they're going to score a goal. And if they get one, especially if they get one early, it's going to be a crooked number. It's going to get ridiculous. Um, they have multiple, you know, um, four, five, six goal games. Um, they they have games where, like their first game against Arsenal where they went down early. They went down one goal. Um, and I, I believe it was in the first 10 minutes. It may have even been the first five minutes. It was, it was really unfortunate to, to watch that because you just expected like, okay, Arsenal's Arsenal's, they also have a really good team. Um, and then it took until the second half, but it only took two minutes in the second half. They scored back to back, took the game and done. And since then they've destroyed Arsenal four to one, uh, in their second meeting, beat them two to one again in the continental cup. I mean, the, the team is absurd. <laughs> yeah. The team is absurd. So if they get back to playing again, I really encourage folks to watch them because, um, I, I I'm telling you that Chelsea takes this team really seriously um, from from everything from training and fitness uh, to the quality of the staff that works in. They, they're trained. They work out at Cobham. They play uh, their games at Kings Meadow, which is where I think the, the academy team plays games. Um, right. Hopefully they get some more matches in the uh, in Stanford Bridge because their first match of the season was. And Bethany England actually scored her her best <laughs> Um, the first goal for Chelsea this season was, I think, in the fourth minute against Spurs uh, at Stamford Bridge, and it was a 25-yard rocket with her left foot, which is not her dominant foot. Um, 
I know I've tweeted about the goal before, but you guys can find it if you just type in Bethany England Spurs. You'll see it. It's absurd. It was the first goal of the season. She scored a bunch since. Um, yeah, I, I just I, I'm <laughs> in a way I'm more disappointed that Chelsea's women's team's uh, season got halted than actually Chelsea, <laughs> only because they were so close to doing the treble. They have one trophy. They're in the FA Cup quarterfinal. Um, they have a game in hand, which if you give them three points from that game, which you would assume because they're playing Everton, who are decent but not on Chelsea's level, then they're top of the league. So they're, they realistically would have, could have gotten a trouble from this season. Nothing's been called off yet, but the way things are going, it probably will be, especially if they don't even know how to start the Premier League. And that would be really sad because this team was really on track to, th- to lift three trophies this season. And that would have just been astounding. And Sorry, rant you, you mentioned, oh no, I, I, I'd like the strand to continue for a while yet because <laughs> I, I was, um, Fran Kirby hasn't played with Sam Kurashi oh. because I, I read that she, uh, she had unfortunately missed some time because uh, of a virus called uh, pericarditis, I think. She yeah. Had, yeah, that's, that's been rather, that, that was, that was very unfortunate when I read about that and I hope she can be back soon, but um, she didn't get the chance to play with Bethany England and Sam Kerr, did she? She played with Bethany England, but not Sam Kerr. Um, not. I mean, yeah, together, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, and actually, that's, that's, I'm glad you mentioned her because I've, I've gushed so far, and I'm glad you actually waited until after, <laughs> after the gushing to mention her because this also throws it into perspective a little bit how good yeah. the team has been. Exactly. Sam Kerr has been Chelsea's best player for years, years and years, seasons, seasons. She hasn't played. I think she has maybe four appearances this season. I think two were substitute, two were starts before she had to just shut it down for a little while uh, because of this virus that really, it's, it's really, it, it's, this was before the coronavirus really hit. It really sounded pretty bad because it was the same sort of fatigue, exhaustion. Uh, she couldn't really, like, she didn't have enough energy to really, like, get out of bed uh, to have, like, a normal day. Um, it really just, and it was really scary, a, a scary diagnosis to get, and there's really no treatment, but, you know, keep yourself hydrated, um, try to do some energy as you can, and hopefully it goes away eventually. They usually do. Um, so hopefully she is clear of that, but Chelsea's been really supportive. Um, the training staff and the medical staff have been really supportive with her, um, and, but they, she just hasn't been able to get on the pitch. And so it's Man, I, I think I actually think her last match may have been the first match against Arsenal. She actually assisted Bethany England's goal. Um, that that was the goal that put us level. Uh, so it's been a while, and they've done all that without her. When she gets into the team, because we're just going to go ahead and say the the, the we're going to we're going to think positively, <laughs> and mm-hmm. that she's recovered from this, and that she's going to be all right, and the season will get started again uh, at some point. Um, when she gets into the team, they're going to be even that much more ridiculous because, yeah. I mean, honestly, the midfield, Ji So Yoon is, is our, is our creative midfielder, um, attacking midfielder, yeah. absurd, not, not a player like her. I think in one of the comments on one of my articles, um, I was trying, I was, I was telling, I was trying to explain the difficulty in equating men's and women's players just because the games are so different. And I had to kind of equate her as a mix between Pogba and Dybala <laughs> because she drops deep <laughs> wow. and she plays, yeah, she drops deep and she plays ridiculous passes, either short or long to get through defenses, to break lines. And she's around the, in and around the box all the time. She scores from outside the box, inside the box. Y- y- you just like, 
she's an absurd player as well. Then you have Aaron Cuthbert on the right. You have Fran Kirby, who can also play in either a wing style or an attacking midfield kind of number 10 role. I mean, the team is yeah. stacked. <laughs> it is and absurd. I need to ask you about one more, just one yeah, more. Yeah, go for it. Speaking about firepower, Aaron Cuthbert. Yes. She is, I, I know that um, Chelsea Youth is a huge Aaron Cuthbert fan. <laughs> and he, I mean, he talks about how she has massive potential. And where do you think she fits in with all of this? And what, what's her what's her stature in the squad as of yet? Because I, um, I know that she's a very highly thought of up-and-coming player. Mm-hmm. And she's obviously very significant for the women's game in her nation as well, despite uh, being that young. But where, how, how far do you think she could go? And do you think she could actually play in the same team with... Um, all of these players that you mentioned. Oh, yeah, that she could can be hold like her own. too much sauce to handle. Okay. I mean, it, it, at some point, I don't envy Emma Hayes because it is, it is, as you said, too much sauce to handle, especially when yeah. Fran Kirby gets back. Um, there, there's, you know, the what she, what Fran Kirby has gone through has not been anything that's, there's no silver lining to it. It's just, it's just really difficult. Yeah. What it's allowed Emma Hayes to do, though, is get as much attacking uh, talent as, as is in the team on the pitch at the same time, especially with the arrival of Sam Kerr. So Guru Wrighton is another player that Chelsea signed um, right. in the in the summer. And she's a left-footed uh, winger, and her delivery is ridiculous. She, her left foot is really, 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 really good. Um, she's she's assisted Beth England a number of times back post, uh, assisted Sam Kerr, I believe, for her first goal, which was against Arsenal. Um, um, back post, that was the goal think we were two up we, we were three nil up on arsenal after 20 minutes uh so that was fun uh you should definitely watch that game on the fa player they'll allow you to rewatch to rewatch some of the old games or at least the highlights um but aaron cuthbert is great she normally plays on the right wing she can drift in the midfield and often does um the way emma hayes sets her team up she usually only has one really true midfielder which sounds absurd but it's uh, Sophie Engels, sometimes it's Drew Spence, and that's kind of your, your sweeper, your DM who just sits back there and, um, and, and sweeps things up. Although, caveat, when you're talking Chelsea women's team, everybody has to be able to score goals. And Sophie Engel has also scored one of the best goals that you've ever seen uh, this season. So you should check that out. That was against Arsenal as well. We, we like beating up Arsenal this season, and that makes me smile uh, quite a bit. Um, but Aaron Cuthbert has come into midfield um from times from the right wing to either press or to be kind of an outlet to to let g kind of go forward a little bit um or to just to suck up uh defenders so that um the forwards and the wingers can run in behind which works out really well when you have smart players like bethany england like sam kerr who find those channels there's a particular um i can't remember who it's against i think it may have been reading but i'm not sure there's a particular goal um, that was like so indicative of Chelsea and and what Aaron Cuthbert can do. She drifted in from the right wing, came uh, central in central midfield area. Our goalkeeper punched the ball out of her box, um, and Aaron, and Cuthbert controls it quickly. First touch, and then turns around and hits a a uh, through ball straight through two lines of defense, right onto uh, a run a sprinting Bethany England goal Uh so you basically Uh have three touches from our goal one from our goalkeeper to a goal (laughs) 
It's absurd. Wow. <laughs> so Aaron Cuthbert. Heavy metal football. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm telling you, <laughs> Klopp knows nothing about this. This this team is ridiculous, and and they can score from any way. Um, you know, normally on the men men's side, you see City scores very similar types of goals. Liverpool scores very similar types of goals. This Chelsea team scores whatever. Whoever's free, whoever has the shot at goal and has the shot on their foot, on their head, whatever. Um, they put the ball in the net, and it is absurd to watch. So, yeah, uh, Aaron is definitely in that same caliber of of um, attacker as Fran Kirby and Bethany England and Sam Kerr as well, and G. Uh, G's great. So, yeah. <laughs> really have to uh, start watching that, right? And we need yes. we need a dedicated episode for this. So <laughs> it's um, true because I could really go go as you guys have let me ramble for for quite a while. And we, and I appreciate we have it. a lot more players to talk about when we yes. do that because there's many yes. bride and there's uh-huh. uh, Bachman and Miller and I mean you you probably know a lot more than me. But no, you're right. Are... <laughs> Millie Bright is probably worth an episode alone just yeah, because exactly. she's so dominant, and she's yeah. uh, she's also uh, Emma Huge Hayes challenged her. To, yeah, yeah, and Emma Hayes <laughs> challenged her to step up her game. She's actually um, scored a goal from a run that started inside her own half this season. Oh, she's, bloody because hell. she's yeah, she's <laughs> absurd. <laughs> so yeah, these these players, um, that team is. I, I honestly can't say enough. You guys gotta watch them when you have a chance. Um, they're they're absurd. Well, hope, hopefully after this segment of the podcast, um, hopefully you listening can go out and check up uh, check out some Chelsea women women's action, uh, as and when you can because it all seems to be very exciting. A lot of good players in there and a very 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 um, proficient football team uh, first and foremost. Yeah. So yeah, that was um, a very well. I mean, obviously Andre is very well versed in this and we have mentioned he watches a lot of football so there is there are there are a few better opinions to trust on the subject so hopefully anyone listening won't need much more convincing anyhow that jimmy that should bring us to the end of the podcast shouldn't it yeah yeah i, I mean it I has been a bit of a long one, one but we, we've yeah. probably pro- definitely broken a record here but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but to be fair it has been our first podcast in just about a month so yeah uh yeah hopefully our listeners won't won't start thinking too ill of us by the time they reach the end of this podcast uh (laughs) so anyhow it's um all obviously been amazing to have you guys on once again um ryan and andre thank you no problem thanks for having us always a um, pleasure yeah always and we hope we can have you back Again, obviously, um, just as just as we have before, and we definitely will in the future. Andre will definitely come on for um, a special segment on Chelsea Women's FC. And perfect. And I'll we will. Say, I'm not busy, so <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So that I guess that's that, Jimmy. Uh, yep. Everyone, please stay safe. Um, make it make it easier for everyone out there by staying at home and be sensible be safe and watch the women's team while you have time and when you don't have time as well so <laughs> yeah that brings us to the end of this episode of we ain't got no podcast by we ain't got no history i'm ram and that's jimmy and 
also Andre and Brian. So this is us signing off. See ya.